The following is an Auburn Network production. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goertz. You're on the line here on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. I'm your man, Jacob Goins, here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Hope you're all doing well on this sunny Wednesday afternoon here in the Auburn Opelika area. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird with you for the next two hours, talking all things sports, Auburn athletics, and a whole lot more here on ESPN 106.7. Phone lines are open, 334-321-1390. We'd love to hear from you. Anything on your mind in the sports world, anything related to Auburn or uh, professional uh, football or tennis, if you want to talk about that, call in. We'd love to hear from you. 334-321-1390. It's been a hectic day today of <laughs> with Lee Scott. Of course, Carter and I, we are the broadcast team for Lee Scott. I do play-by-play. Carter does color commentary over on our sister station, AU100, and... Uh, I got a phone call about 10.30 this morning that our game on Friday night has been moved from Friday night at 7 o'clock to tomorrow night at 6.30 at Morgan Academy in Selma, Alabama. So we've been adjusting for that, trying to get ready uh, to to go and call that game tomorrow night instead of Friday night. So that's what's been on the agenda today. But we have a lot to talk about here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. And to start... Auburn basketball, I know it's September, I know we've got football, but Auburn basketball released their full schedule for the upcoming 2022-2023 season. Now, we've had the non-conference schedule for a little bit, and we've had Auburn's SEC opponents, but we haven't had the schedule that was released today. And Carter, let's dive into it. When you look up and down this schedule, at my first glance, looking from top to bottom, the schedule doesn't look all that bad for Auburn basketball this upcoming season. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I I definitely see one three-game stretch that has me worried. And at the very that, end. It's at Kentucky, at Alabama, Tennessee at home. That That's going to be a really tough stretch going into the, the SEC tournament. If you find a way to take two out of three of that, that stretch, then maybe you're feeling pretty good going into the SEC tournament. But if you come out of that, one and two, zero oh and three. I mean, I think that that would kill a lot of momentum going into the tournament. Which, I mean, who knows what happens in the tournament? We we saw that last year, right? Exactly. And so, looking at Auburn basketball's conference schedule, their SEC schedule, it gets underway December twenty eighth. I mean, what a huge game to start out conference play. Home against Florida on December twenty eighth. We know how Auburn played last year at Florida. Didn't go the way you wanted it to, and now Auburn gets a chance to return the favor inside Neville Arena. They play the Gators to open up conference play. Look, I I'm excited about that one. I think this team is going to be very motivated to to get a win in that one in the home opener of conference play. And keep in mind, it is Bruce Pearl's protege. Coming back to Auburn, mm-hmm. Todd Golden. Right, he's now the head coach at 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 uh, at Florida, and he's going to be bringing that that Florida team. Is Castleton still on that team? <laughs> Is he? 
That's a good question. I don't know. Uh, it's, if he it is, seems like then... he's been there forever, and he just made Auburn look silly last year. And it, look, Castleton is good, but is he great? No. And he made Auburn look silly last year. He just really did. But this opening game in the SEC play for Auburn, it, it feels like last year when they opened up against LSU, a top 25 team who was supposed to be really, really good, ended up being decent but not great as, as much as they were supposed to be but this opening game in SEC play for Auburn basketball feels like that game this is a big big game to start off conference conference play no it absolutely is and I have bad news for uh Auburn basketball Twitter still Colin, there Colin Castleton is going into his fifth year fifth year man <laughs> well you look up and down this schedule you play home against Florida then to, to start the new year January 4th at Georgia home for Arkansas so two of your first three games in SEC play are not easy especially with how good Arkansas is supposed to be but at you least get them at home yes if at least you get Arkansas at home Arkansas is going to be nasty this year I I personally would keep an eye out on them to win the conference just because I think they're that talented um, but I I do like getting them at home early in conference play on a Saturday too. So because that remember, place will be rocking. Remember last year, I believe it was Arkansas started slow mm-hmm. in conference play. If they do that again, then it's not a bad spot. It's not a bad spot to pick up that game. I, I it will be interesting that second game on the road against Mike White's Georgia Bulldog team. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That feels how weird. different that will feels they look? Super, you know? That feels super weird to say though, because Mike White's been at Florida for so long, and now he's at Georgia. And it was such a weird move, right? Going from Florida basketball to Georgia basketball, it just—it was a weird it move was, to me. It was a move that you make when you're starting to wear out your welcome in, at Florida, and you still when want you, a big Division One conference job. Consistently, consistently kind of underwhelmed a little bit at, at just every year. Not quite meeting expectations right. in Florida, and eventually the patient starts to wear thin. And this is a, to me, it was a preemptive move to, okay, I can go extend my my career in the SEC if I go to Georgia, and maybe because Georgia, in theory, in theory, Georgia should be a really good job because you're close to Atlanta, you should be able to recruit the state of the the city of Atlanta, the state of Georgia. There's plenty of basketball talent there. I mean, look at what Bruce Pearl's done with it. I mean, he went and got yeah. he went and got Jared Harper, Bryce Brown, Sharif Cooper. But right I mean, now, how are you supposed to recruit against Bruce Pearl when he is right there at the at basically the state line? I mean, it's right there, and he's going into Georgia and snagging all the good players. One hundred percent agreed. But like, and that's tough, and that's a challenge because Bruce has owned the the city of Atlanta. I mean, Okoro, Jabari, all of those guys are Georgia products. Most of them are Atlanta guys. I mean, it's difficult, but if you're Georgia, you should be able to win recruiting battles in Atlanta. You're the in-state school. You would you, think. I mean, I, I, I know that they're, what, they're Dominique Wilkins and and uh, and Anthony Edwards are their claims to fame mm-hmm. of, of high draft picks and stuff. But I mean, again, you're talking about Georgia, a school that is over-the-top dominant in football where all of the money goes. I mean, it's just it's one of those programs where I, I just don't think Georgia basketball is ever going to be great. I think they could get some talent. They, and I like Mike White as a head coach. There's no reason Georgia basketball can't be really good. And and if, if you cite that they're dominant in football right now and that's why you can't do it in basketball, Florida did. 
Florida won a national championship in football and basketball at the same time. Which is actually really crazy. Yeah. That's and, really crazy. And if you remember, I mean, the athletes on that campus at that time and the personalities were insane. Right. You had, you had Tim Tebow, Riley Cooper, uh, Aaron Hernandez. You had all, you had like Joe Kim Noah, Al Horford. What a, all of what a these, crazy time to be at Florida that would have been. Ryan Lochte was on campus at yeah. that point in time. Yeah. I mean, it was a ridiculous time at Florida. But yeah, no, it's it's a it's a program that should be a lot better than it's been. And you shouldn't get dominated by the rest of the SEC the way that they have been recently. Moving through some of the more uh, some more of the games on Auburn basketball's SEC schedule as it was completely released today. After Auburn plays Arkansas at home on Saturday, January 7th. Again, I can't express enough how big it is to get that game at home on a Saturday. You travel to Ole Miss on a Tuesday night. You come home from Mississippi State on a Saturday. Then you go to LSU during the week, back home against South Carolina. Then you're home to round out January against Texas A&M. And then uh, to really round now January you have at West Virginia we knew that game was already on the schedule that's the SEC Big 12 challenge Uh, that's going to be a good game but looking at the month of January for Auburn basketball they don't play two consecutive road games in conference play that entire month they actually have two straight home games Uh, oh no they don't no just kidding they play at LSU and and at South South Carolina Carolina. my bad I read that wrong but, but honestly what a great time to catch both of those programs. Mm-hmm. Both programs are going through tr- transition. LSU is going to be awful this year. LSU at one point, every player on the team. Oh, wait, had, are you talking football or basketball? <laughs> I'm talking about both. Uh, but LSU at one point in time this offseason, every player had either left for the NBA, had tr- gone, gone in the transfer portal, and every recruit had decommitted. And LSU's still waiting on on a lot to come down on them. Yes, exactly. And then one of them is obviously Yoan Traore, or Traor, now at Auburn. And he's going to be probably what most people think is going to be the best freshman on this Auburn team. And probably going to be in the conversation for a lottery pick. Right. And so you look at this month of January, and... It's really not uh, – you have to play Florida to start conference play, and you have to play Arkansas early on. But Ole Miss, Mississippi State, LSU, South Carolina, Texas A&M, those are winnable games for Auburn to get off to a very, very good start in conference play. Then you travel to West Virginia, and then as you start looking into the month of February, you get Georgia at home. You do have to go back to Knoxville and play Tennessee on the road again, which will be a tough matchup, no doubt. Uh, we saw – we saw how Auburn played uh, at Thompson Bowling Arena this past season. I was actually at that game, and again, it was one of those games where Auburn had a chance to win, and the same mistakes that continued to bite them late in the season, it, it did it again in that game, and they ended up falling short. It was a great game, but Auburn plays home against Georgia to start the month of February at Tennessee, at Texas A&M. Then you come home for Alabama, home for Missouri, at Vanderbilt, home for Ole Miss, and then there's that stretch you talked about to end conference play Mm -hmm. February 25th Saturday at Kentucky then on that Wednesday night March 1st you're at Alabama and then you come home to wrap up the season on Saturday March 4th at home against Tennessee so a very very tough stretch to end the season the month of February isn't horrible you do have to play at Tennessee but you get Alabama at home and then you have uh, Ole Miss at home before you travel again to Lexington Tuscaloosa and then you come home and play Tennessee so the end of that stretch is tough no doubt I mean when you look at this schedule 
I like what Bruce Pearl has done. Bruce Pearl has gone and made a very challenging schedule that is going to pay dividends when this team is trying to get into March Madness because you you play a team like St. Louis, a G5 team that's pretty solid. You play Colgate, who's made a couple NCAA tournaments here recently. Then you play Memphis in Atlanta. Then you play Georgia State. And then everything kicks off. That December 18th game at USC, you go at USC, at Washington, Florida at home, and you're in conference play. And your conference play all the way to the end, with the exception of that road trip to West Virginia. It's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a season-long grind. But it's I, I like the way this schedule is because I, I think it's going to give a a young team – well, you, you obviously have guys like Alan Flanagan, but it's going to give a team with a lot of new pieces – Room for error because you're gonna. It's gonna be a feeling out process early, trying to figure out roles with with Jabari and Kessler not there, uh, because you're not gonna have Jabari to dump the ball to and just have him shoot that fadeaway mid range shot that he was so good at. But I I also like the fact that I feel like this team's gonna have so many more guards and be able to handle the basketball better, and that's gonna be key when you go play a West Virginia team that likes to put pressure on the ball. They no doubt they like to. And one thing that sticks out to me about this Auburn basketball schedule, we're breaking down the 2022-2023 Auburn basketball schedule as conference schedule was released today from Auburn basketball. When you look at at the schedule as a whole, there's tough games up and down, right? But there's there's a good balance of of good tough home games. Florida, Arkansas. Uh, A&M, you have Alabama at home, you have Tennessee at home to end the season, but it balances out with some really tough road games as well. You're at Alabama, you're at Kentucky, you never know, you're at Vanderbilt, you don't know how they're going to be, you're at Tennessee, right? You have to go to West Virginia, to South Carolina, to LSU, to Ole Miss, so there's a good balance on this schedule for Auburn where you have some great home games, but you have some tough road games, which you builds do. character and builds your team better for March. I mean, probably the second hardest stretch on this schedule is at Tennessee, at Texas A&M, Alabama at home. That three-game stretch is pretty difficult, too. I think in the front half of conference play, Auburn needs to make its hay. Auburn needs to get out in mm-hmm. front, and and if they, if they can get out way out front in the conference – which I think they have a path to because you get Florida at home and you get Arkansas at home, and then you you go your road your toughest two game road stretch in the first half of the year is you get the at LSU at South Carolina, which I think are both very winnable games. I mean I think there is a path to make hay early in the season, early in the conference play, and then you can kind of navigate what is a much more difficult back half and it starts with that road game at Tennessee when you go on the road at Tennessee on the road at A&M Alabama at home and then you have road games against Kentucky and Alabama back to back and then Tennessee at home to finish off the year that back half of the of conference play looks a lot more difficult Auburn needs to make ground on the front half there's a legitimate option here when you're looking at the month of January for Auburn in conference play uh, I think the, the home game against Florida to start conference play will be tough. I, again, I compare it to Auburn playing LSU last year to open up conference play where Auburn looked really, really good and they just 
put it on and, LSU. And, and Kessler had a, a triple-double. Exactly. I, I like where that game is going. That gives me the same vibes looking at it in the month of September. And then you have that game at home against Arkansas where it's going to be a tough game, but it's a Saturday uh, afternoon, maybe even a Saturday night game. Auburn and Arkansas, two of the best teams in the conference, but you get it at home and you get it early on in conference play. So even if you drop that game, you're looking at a month of January where Auburn should only lose one SEC game because Georgia, uh, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, LSU, South Carolina, Texas A&M, Auburn should beat those teams a lot more times than they don't. And I think that's a legitimate chance there for Auburn to maybe only have one loss in conference play before they go to West Virginia. If you find a way to beat Florida and Arkansas to open the year, I think that gives you enough momentum that you could be going to Tennessee in the conversation of undefeated in conference play at that point. For sure. That'd be the dream. And we've seen we've seen Bruce Pearl teams that start out red hot in conference play and get out front and then kind of just coast or not not coast but but are able to get so far out front that teams can't run them down and then we've seen we saw the Final Four team struggle early mm-hmm. and then turn it on late and and become what they became and then even the Okoro team that team got hot very late what they went. And, smashed that Tennessee team in Knoxville to end the regular season uh, and they got all the way up to the two seed in the, in the conference tournament they ended up getting canceled but it's I think that we've seen Bruce Pearl's teams get out in front of everybody on the SEC and then we've seen them also come from behind but the way the schedule sets up I I would like to see them get out in front and it's the opportunity is there but I think you also have to be realistic and you're talking about the FCC which has gotten a lot tougher in basketball over the last couple of years and when you look at some of these road games in the SEC and I know we're up against a break but we'll talk about this when we come back but you're going to lose some of these road games I mean let's just be honest even some of the ones you don't think you're supposed to lose you're playing tough SEC road matchups in college basketball. Losses are going to come. We're going to talk about this and a whole lot more when we come back. We're off and running here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. 334-321-1390 is the number to put you through to us. We'd love to hear from you. More of On the Line when we come back. You are On the Line on ESPN 1067. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 106.7 app. Back here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line, Jacob Goins and Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. While we're talking about basketball, I do want to take a second and uh, give you an update about some football's news because after the game, ESPN 106.7's After the Game Show is back. Catch your own, yours truly, Carter Bird and Auburn High sportscaster Jack Cudden after every Auburn University football game this season. They'll provide post-game analysis and take your calls live from the ESPN 1067 studio after the game is presented by Urgent Care Clinic. Open seven days a week, no appointment necessary, and no wait time. Get better with urgency at Urgent Care Clinic in Auburn. That's the ESPN 1067 after the game show. So it is back. It will be going uh, live this 
this Saturday after Auburn plays San Jose State. It'll be Carter Bird, our, our own Carter Bird, and Jack Hutton, who does the uh, producing for Auburn High School football. He also is doing play-by-play for uh, their girls' basketball and softball. So uh, Jack Hutton and Carter Bird will be doing the ESPN 106.7 after the game show starting this Saturday after every single Auburn football, uh, Auburn University football home game. So excited to to announce that. But Carter, question of the day as we continue on with some Auburn basketball conversation since the conference schedule has been released. Which games on this schedule are you looking forward to the most as we look at this? I know it's September and we don't truly know what these teams are going to look like yet, but just looking at the matchups, which games are you most excited about and why? Looking forward to or scared of? Uh, Both. Okay, well, looking forward to that Arkansas game. Well, one, the opener, Florida at home. I love that one. That one I'm excited about. I, I can't wait to see this team that I think truly when it's all said and done, might be better than last year's team just because of, I think, the, the, their ability to handle the basketball. I see no reason why they can't be better than last year's team. I know last year's team was awesome with Kessler and Jabari. 100% agree there. But I felt like at times you got a little too too reliant on Jabari. And then when Jabari had an off game, it just wasn't there. See, and I then, don't think they went to Jabari enough last year. Well, and, and look, look in the tournament. I mean, that, that that Miami game, Jabari was off. Kessler was off. Kessler really was not quite the same after he took that fall and injured his shoulder. What, what was it? The week before the SEC tournament, mm-hmm. he wasn't he wasn't quite the same after that. Um, I w- I want to see this team. I th- my personal pick is I think Chance Westry is going to be a monster this year. I've if you follow me on Twitter, you've seen me tweet that uh, I'm starting the. Chance Westry Naismith Award uh, campaign. I, st- oh, okay. I started that pretty much as soon as the dr- NBA draft started. Um, but yes, I think that this team has a chance to be better than last year's team. Oh, I 100 percent think so they're going to be better. It's than so last year. It's so much deeper. It's so much deeper, and I think that you've you've seen some guys change their bodies too, because I think KD and Wendell, to be exact, beginning of last year. The funniest is when they would put Wendell's picture from preseason up there for the starting lineups, and you're like, he's a little bit on the chunky side. And now when you see him now, he looks so much leaner and so mm-hmm. much faster. Yeah. And that's only going to be good thing. That's only going to be good because you saw teams try to send big, long traps at him so much at the end of last year, and I think he's going to be – he's going to have that extra quickness to be able to handle double teams better. So I'm, I'm excited about that Florida game, that Arkansas game, and then – probably the Alabama game at home or and the Tennessee game to end the year. Those four, those are the home games. The ones that scare me are that Tennessee and A&M back-to-back and that Kentucky-Alabama back-to-back. Yeah. Because you know, one, playing on, on the road at Rupp, you don't, you don't win at Rupp. Hardly ever. Hardly ever. I mean, I can't tell you the last – when was the last time Auburn won at, won at Rupp? That's a good question. You'll have to Google that. McKenzie – we need a Google search. <laughs> We're going to have Mackenzie, our but, intern, who is running our board and answering our phone. She's going to do a Google search and see and when's then, the last time Auburn basketball won at Rupp because I don't remember. I mean, you have you had the famous instance back in the 60s where Auburn hit like a half-court shot at the buzzer to beat Kentucky in Rupp, and I honestly don't know if it's happened since then. Right. Uh, that Alabama game at Alabama, you want to talk about a team that, that an atmosphere that is going to be outrageously hostile? Because... 
nobody wants to beat Auburn more after after Auburn swept Alabama last year than than Alabama. And so that place, and especially with the Bruce getting the broom out and yeah. the team doing the the crane kick thing. I'm going to try and go to that game because the last two times I've gone to Auburn basketball play in Tuscaloosa, they've won. And so I feel like I owe it to Auburn basketball and to Auburn fans that I should go. McKenzie says, what did that say? 19- what year? 1988, according right. to McKenzie's Google search. That's the last time Auburn basketball won in Rupp Arena was 1988. So That's I, would, I would say they're due, team. right? I'd say they're due for a win. As much as I think that Kentucky is going to be overrated because they do this every year, every year we talk Kentucky into the top 10, top 7, top 5, and every year Cal underwhelms. Underwhelms. Well, some of the games that I'm looking forward to in conference play because there's some good out-of-conference games, but want to talk about the SEC just for a second before we get to break because that was released today. I love starting out with Florida. I love that game again. I think that's a great start for Auburn to play a good team at home. Looking forward to playing Arkansas. I'm excited to have them at home rather than having to go to Arkansas because of how good they're going to be this year. Uh, Looking forward to Auburn uh, going back to Tennessee see if they can bounce back from last year you love getting Bama at home and then yeah I'm right there with you the end of the conference schedule is not easy you're you're two you get home and home every year always going to be that Georgia and Alabama game uh just because they they like to keep the uh rivalries alive there but I I love playing Tennessee twice though I love playing them twice you go to Tennessee but then you get them at home to end the season and I love doing that but that three game stretch at Kentucky at Alabama home for Tennessee uh, that there's so much that could happen in that stretch you could go three and oh you could go oh and three you could go two and one one and two yeah. I mean there's there's so many possibilities with that but it makes it so exciting for the college basketball season 30 minutes into hour number one. Stay tuned. We have Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 to talk about the Georgia Bulldogs when we come back. You are on the line with Jacob Goertz on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 minutes into hour number one here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Well, welcoming in our usual Wednesday guest, it's Jordan Hill of Dogs 247. Jordan, I'm sure you're feeling pretty good as the dogs were feeling uh, Sunday evening after they put a beat down on Oregon. How's it going, man? Hey, it's going good, and yeah, like I was telling people after Saturday, I uh, always appreciate a game like that. I was able to get a whole lot of stuff done well before the <laughs> final buzzer ended on that one. So that was definitely a great week one experience as far as a little bit of a head start on some of those stories. Well, Jordan, let's dive right into it. The dogs, I mean, they, they take care of business against Oregon in Atlanta. It was a game where people thought it was going to be a lot closer, ourselves included. Oh, uh, we gosh. thought it was going to be closer than it was. But Georgia came in, and from the very opening drive, I mean, they just shut out Oregon and didn't, didn't let them do anything. How did, or, or how did uh, Georgia come in and just dominate Oregon for four quarters? Yeah, I think it was a mix of things. I think offensively they did a very good job of, of you know, utilizing misdirection, of getting the ball to a lot of different players. That first drive alone, Seth and Bennett hit five different receivers, including Kenny McIntosh, the running back, who 
they used in a, in a multitude of ways, putting them out wide, things like that. And so that kind of set the tone for the offense, the way they were able to work a bunch of different guys in and you know, kind of set up Georgia having seven drives and seven touchdowns, you know, scoring a touchdown on each of their first seven drives. And then defensively, you know, I felt like they just really put the pressure on Bo Nix, especially after, you know, what I really feel like was a turning point in the game in that it put pressure on Oregon. Oregon couldn't really do much to respond was the first quarter interception to Malachi Starks, who, you know, on that play, you know, I feel like people kind of, you know, ragged on Bo Nix and the way he played. And there, there was another interception later on that I think was kind of on Bo with the decision he made. But the first one he threw was a pretty good pass. And then you have a true freshman, Malachi Starks, just make a phenomenal play to lay out and, and make the interception. You're not counting on a guy in his very first college game to be able to make a play like that. So, you know, Georgia did a very good job. And uh, what we had seen the, the previous three years when Bo – was at Auburn playing Georgia. Uh, there were multiple instances where Georgia jumped on Auburn early and it kind of put the pressure on Bo. And a few of those games, I thought he handled it well. A few other games, it kind of felt like Auburn started pressing. Um, but I think that was sort of the situation. You know, once Georgia kind of got the ball rolling, and especially after that second interception, you know, put all the pressure on Oregon and credit to this Georgia defense, which again had to replace eight starters from last year, uh, they didn't let up as far as the pressure. Even Going into that second half, you know, they still uh, held Oregon out of the end zone, which I think meant a whole lot to that defense and uh, definitely gives them some momentum going into week two. Jordan, when you start a game by forcing Oregon to punt and then you go 12 plays, 85 yards, five minutes for a touchdown, and you pick off a pass and do it again, basically, at what point in the opening sequence of the game could you kind of feel almost like the air come out of the stadium? Could you feel the energy on the Oregon side just die? Because it just, it at no point did it feel competitive. Yeah, you know, it was already a tough situation from the Oregon perspective of playing in Atlanta because, I mean, it's already, you know, even if it is a close game, all the, the energy, the atmosphere is going to be geared toward Georgia. But mm-hmm. I think that interception I just talked about was a big moment. And not so much being, a, you know, a knockout blow or anything like that. I mean, it might have been seven nothing, fourteen nothing at that point. But it was the second interception when Chris Smith, a guy that this time last year in that season opener against Clemson, he has the only touchdown of the entire game. He has a pick six in a game where really neither offense can do anything. Guy that's a super senior, guy that came back for another year, ship makes a veteran play and realizes where Bo's going to put the football and kind of catches Bo looking that way just a tick too long and jumps the route. I think that was kind of the moment where it was like, ooh, you know, this this could get ugly. And then they go down and score, and you just kind of got that sense that, you know, it, Oregon was already on the ropes, but then you're like at halftime, okay, Oregon's last shot is to get a stop because Georgia got the ball to start the third quarter. Didn't happen, and from there, it, you know, it kind of felt like a running clock situation where you already kind of knew where this thing was ending up. We're speaking with Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Jordan, it was a 49-3 to victory for Georgia over Oregon. I've got to ask, which side of the football were you more impressed with? The Georgia offense that put 49 points on the board or the Georgia defense that held Oregon to just three points after losing so many players to the NFL? There was definitely a lot to like on both sides, but I think I would go with the offense. Again, your first seven drives, you score. 
the way they use misdirection, I mean, the way they put Kenny McIntosh running back out wide, the way they handed off to Lad McConkey and let him run the ball. Uh, one of the plays they ran early on in the game where they put out Jalen Carter, your big defensive tackle, who you know might wind up being a top-five pick. You got him in at fullback, and you got a running back behind him. Everybody's thinking, all right, this is a run to the left when the running back goes that way. Well, Stetson keeps the ball and runs out to his right. Nobody's out there. I, I just thought they did a very good job in that first game, Todd Monk and the offensive coordinator, of knowing what pieces he had, knowing the kind of playmakers he had, and using pretty much all of them. You know, we talk so much about the tight ends, and they got involved, but it wasn't, you know, we're just going to throw the tight end, throw the tight end. You know, they got Adani Mitchell involved. They got Lad McConkey, as I said, he made plays. They did a very good job of working different ways with the talent they have and, and making it clear to me that even going forward into the season, this isn't the type of team that you say, all right, if we stop number five on offense, we're good. If we don't let, or if we stop number 19, if we stop Brock Bowers and say the tight ends aren't doing anything, you know, this was a very good example, at least early in the year, to show us that, you know, this is going to be an offense that's got multiple playmakers and, and guys they feel like they can count on in big situations. Jordan, with, with Stetson having the the ridiculous numbers that he had in this opener, and it's got to be statistically the best game of his career, watching him in that game, did, did he look different out there? Did he look more confident, more in command? Is he is he finally comfortable fully taking ownership that this is a 1,000% his job and there's nobody over his shoulder that fans might be looking to? I think so, and I think, too, kind of uh, going hand-in-hand with that is the confidence, again, that Todd Monk and the play caller had in him. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, they threw the ball a whole lot. You know, Mm -hmm. the the narrative from last year, which I think was more fair during the regular season, and we kind of saw that change during the postseason, that playoff run, was that Georgia was going to really rely on the running backs, James Cook, Zamir White, and basically throw when they had to. And, you know, the, the Georgia threw the ball a ton during that playoff run, and obviously there were some big plays that Stetson made. Then you go into game one, and, I mean, they threw the ball a ton. I mean, those those uh, receiver or those running backs really kind of had bigger, uh, you know, parts in the passing game than they did running the ball. I mean, there was not a ton of running, and uh, I think that shows you the confidence this coaching staff has in Stetson. And there really wasn't a ton of – what Kirby Smart called before the season boneheaded plays. You know, plays where Stetson tried to force something and, you know, probably would have been smarter to throw it away. And you saw that early on in the game. He started 13 to 15. Those two incompletions were throwaways where he said, you know, I'm just going to live to fight another day and, you know, not try to force something. The one play that uh, I think would qualify for, you know, one, I think even Stetson. I'd like to have back or, you know, probably decided it was not the best decision was his little uh, scramble that he had. It ends with a touchdown with him hitting Lad McConkey. But even afterwards, uh, Stetson was sort of like, yeah, that, that probably wasn't the smartest decision. But you're seeing less of those plays where it's, you know, kind of hero ball or, okay, we got to make something happen. I think he understands that this offense is going to be a productive one. And I don't think he feels the pressure of having to go out there and make plays every single snap. 
We have Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 on the phone here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Jordan, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Kirby Smart talked about practice on Monday was one of their best practices, and then was it yesterday where they had one of their worst practices? I believe he said something along those lines. Yeah, he was not very happy when he came to see us, which really upset me, you know, to see a coach in a bad mood uh, on a Tuesday night. But yeah, he was he was pretty fired up about what he saw. But you know, I, I can kind of understand that. You know, they're getting ready to play a Stanford team that you know I, I don't know what the line is. I've seen it around fifty or fifty-one points. But I think he just really presses on consistency. He wants those guys to practice to a standard, whether. They're playing Sanford or the week uh, from now when they're getting ready to play South Carolina. Um, yeah, I, I don't know exactly what it was. I know he talked about not liking the energy he saw on Tuesday. Um, but uh, I'm sure he probably let those guys know, and I'm sure that Wednesday's practice will be probably closer to those standards he has. Jordan, obviously there's been a lot of talk about Stetson and Malachi Starks and even uh, Darnell Washington. Who in your mind really stuck out Besides the main people that we're talking about, who is somebody that maybe isn't getting the buzz but played better than is than it's getting talked about? Two of the guys that outside of the guys we just hit, because really all three of those guys had outstanding games. Kenny McIntosh, who played really well, and I think he might have had a couple of touchdowns. The fact they felt so comfortable putting him out wide and getting him the ball in different ways, I thought that was huge i think that that's smart of trying to use him and capitalize on his pass catching ability this is a guy that did not uh, drop a a single target that he had in the 2021 season i think they know that he's dangerous as a pass catcher and they're going to try to utilize that then another guy lad mcconkey uh, just how elusive he is i mean he he does a very good job of making it hard to tackle you know, I felt like those Oregon defenders as a whole really struggled with just wrapping up, and, and Georgia took advantage of that with plays like Kenny McIntosh. I remember one cut he had down the right sideline where it was just such a smooth cut, and it leads to like 10 or 15 more yards. And then McConkey on uh, some of those catches he had, uh, the catch had actually set up that Stetson Bennett keeper. Uh, he had a great play that wound up getting down to the one-yard line. So those guys would probably be my, my big two. And then Chris Smith on the other side, you know, Malachi, that being his first game, a lot of talk, and rightfully so for how he played. But what a veteran game from Chris Smith. thought he played excellent. And uh, having a guy with that kind of experience, I don't think you can put a price on that. We have Jordan Hill of Docs 247 on the phone with just a few more minutes. Jordan, coming off of such a big win against Oregon, of course, Georgia beats the Ducks 49-3. to You play Sanford this week, your first home game of the season for Georgia. What are the expectations for for this game? Obviously, the win is not the, the question mark here, but what are you looking for specifically against Sanford this weekend as Georgia is playing their first home game? I think the biggest thing is is some of the guys that are able to get involved. And really the two position groups to me that are interesting will be quarterback. Obviously, you know, Stetson will play for a bit. Expect to see Carson Beck, but want to see if we see Brock Vandergriff, who's the QB3, and if it's even possible to see Gunnar Stockton, who's a true freshman who, even as young as he is, has gotten really good reviews. So that's something to watch, too. And then, Offensive line, I was very intrigued in that Oregon game. They kind of shifted guys around. They got Amarius Nims, who had gone into the portal around G-Day back in April, 
winds up staying. He got to play a decent bit at right tackle. So uh, they've got, I believe, 18 offensive linemen on scholarship. I'll be interested to see if we see some more of those young guys and how they play because some of those guys will be playing bigger roles than they ever have before. So those are the big things. And then, two, it's going to be kind of hard because the biggest question I had coming out of the Oregon game was how this defensive line is going to play because we didn't really get a good test of that because Oregon used a lot of screens, a lot of quick passing, so didn't get to see those defensive linemen a ton. I don't know how much we're going to learn against the Stanford team that really likes to air it out, um, but it will be interesting to see what those guys do. And, again, they rotated defensive linemen quite a bit against Oregon, and I'm sure we'll probably see that again on Saturday. Georgia plays Sanford 3 o'clock Eastern time on SEC Network. Jordan, we appreciate you and your time as always. Let everybody know where they can keep up with you and everything you're doing with Dogs 247. Absolutely, guys. Dogs247.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Jordan Davis Hill or follow the Dogs 247 Twitter at Dogs 247. Well, Jordan, we will talk to you next week when Georgia will be playing South Carolina. We appreciate your time. Have a great week, man. Appreciate it, guys. Anytime. That was Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. We'll wrap it up when we come back here on ESPN 106.7. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Wrapping up hour number one here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Jacob Goins, Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Big thank you to Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 uh, coming on the show in his usual Wednesday 2.30 time slot, giving us everything we need to know about the Georgia Bulldogs. Obviously, lots of recap from their big win over Oregon uh, on Saturday. Previewed a little bit against Sanford. I mean, again, the, the win is not in question this weekend for the Georgia Bulldogs, but the reaction to their huge victory against Oregon is what we wanted to hear so always good to talk to Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 but we've got a couple of minutes here wrapping up the first hour of this Wednesday edition of On the Line. Carter we have some Braves to talk about. Uh, Last night it was a shootout, barn burner, whatever you want to call it. Which shouldn't happen it, against the A's. It shouldn't happen, but the Braves <laughs> do win. They win 10 to 9. 19 combined runs between the two teams, but a win is a win no matter what. And the Braves win. They beat the A's last night 10 to 9. They're currently playing the second game right now, bottom of the first, still no score. Yeah, uh last night you saw Kyle Wright have his worst start of the year and you've still managed to get the win. At one point it was I was yelling at my television because it felt like every pitch he threw was getting hit for a home run. Uh, just I, would get, I was tired of watching Michael Harris run to the wall and watch a ball sail over it. His ERA coming into the start was a 2.85. Coming out of the start, it's a 3.23. Oh, that's brutal. I asked you if you could find that. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you did. So it went from a 2.85 to what? A 3.2? 3.23 golly oh that is brutal because always, most of those runs were on him last night eight of the nine yes mm, that's had, that i believe brutal. he had eight earned runs wow it was it was tough that is tough but good news is you know who lost last night the mets yes they did and so coming into today now this has already changed but coming into Ki- today kind of kind of coming into today it was a even it's an even record it's an even i don't even know the word i'm looking for the standings are flat 
And the yeah, Braves are, and the they Mets are tied for the for, they were tied for the division lead, and then the Mets played the first game of a doubleheader, and they won five to one against the Pirates. So they are now a half game up, and they they still have a game yet to play today. The Braves are in the bottom of the first. Let's see over my shoulder. It is. Zero to zero. Still no score. Yeah, we've got it on here in the studio. But yes, the Mets lose last night. The Braves win. The division lead has been cut to zero. But now the Mets are technically a game or a half a game up now because they did win today. Uh, so we're looking to see what's going to happen between the Mets and Pirates tonight. They played a doubleheader. Uh, I think the game on. I believe it was Monday got canceled, and so that's why they played the doubleheader today. Mm-hmm. And looking to see if the Braves can pull out a victory here against the A's in this two-game series before they travel up to Seattle and take on the Mariners for a three-game series. But the Braves have done it. As of the beginning of July, the Mets were up ten and a half games in the division, and the Braves have come all the way back, and they've evened it up. It's fluctuating in these next couple of days, even the next couple of hours. But the Braves have come all the way back and evened up this division series and this division race. And it's impressive to see what the Braves have done over the last two months. Yeah, I mean, the the, the trajectory of these two teams over the last week, week and a half, have been totally different. I mean, the Mets have scuffled against some bad, bad teams, and the Braves... Have what? I mean, they continue to win. They've won what seven in a row now, something like that. And and Scherzer, did you see Scherzer just went to the fifteen day IL? Yeah, Scherzer said. I saw him say that he is achy, Mm -hmm. but he uh, says it's not a long term. It's not an injury. He's just achy. But I mean. If I was a net a Mets fan, not a Nets fan, I mean both of them, I would be pretty worried <laughs> because uh, the, the the Nets aren't exactly trending in a great team chemistry direction, uh, and the Mets are trending in a bad direction too, losing to bad teams, and then also maybe the whispers of the injury bug that always plagues the Mets seem to be slowly popping up. Maybe, and we're gonna see how it goes because. It, this race is now more important than ever. It's closer than it's been in months, and the Braves have a tougher stretch than the Mets, but the Mets over the last couple of weeks have not proved that they can beat the teams that are worse than them. And so there's a huge series at the end of this season where the New York Mets come to Atlanta. Could we see this division race come down to that series in Atlanta? How how big and how awesome would that be oh, for the, that series? The atmosphere would be unbelievable. It'd be crazy. We'd have to try to find a way to go somehow. The tickets would be outrageous for a regular season game. But you could see the Braves win the division at home against the Mets. I, I just you wouldn't be able to beat that atmosphere. Not not at all. And I'm I'm currently counting up. Ever since that 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 series against the Mets, they've been red hot. Red Every hot. Every time they win, they win multiple. We'll see how it goes. The Braves currently playing the A's. It's tied at the bottom of the first. Hour number one officially in the book. Stay tuned. We have a whole lot more coming up in hour number two. The following is an Auburn Network production. Live on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 
online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goertz. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. I'm your man, Jacob Goins, here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Hope you're all doing well on this Wednesday afternoon. It was sunny now. It's a little partly cloudy. Not too bad out there in the Auburn Opelika area. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7. Hour number one officially in the books. You know what that means. Hour number two officially underway here on ESPN 106.7. If you missed any of hour number one, be sure to find the podcast. Just search on the line wherever you get your podcast. You can find it right after the show, commercial free, wherever you get your podcast. So just search on the line again wherever you get your your podcast phone lines are open here in hour number two three three four three two one thirteen ninety we'd love to hear from you anything on your mind in the sports world if you want to call in talk about the Braves as they are currently losing two to nothing to the A's with Spencer Strider on the mound you can call and talk about that we've got it on here in the studio and I'm frustrated it's very frustrating because I don't know did did you see the stat that that, that they just flashed up there no I was I was doing my opening thing I didn't see it (laughs) so on the season Spencer Strider has allowed Five runs in the first inning. He's allowed two of those today. Fantastic. With a man on first and second (laughs) still, and they've got, I mean, they've literally had bullpen guys warming up in the first inning in Oakland after the Braves win 10 to 9 last night in what was just a crazy game with Wright on the mound. He gives up eight of the nine earned he got eight earned runs of the nine that the A's scored the Braves have to score 10 to beat the A's and here we are in game two of this two-game series where Spencer Strider who has been dominant who set the Braves (laughs) record for strikeouts in his last start has now given up two runs against one of the worst teams in baseball in the first inning he's about to throw his 33rd pitch of the first inning that's so bad oh gosh killing me to watch well if you want to call in about that or anything else we'd love to hear from you three three four three two one 1390 and as we get into making headlines on Wednesday September 7th 2022 we'll start out with the Braves because (laughs) last night again they win 10 to 9 the Mets lose the NL East had come to uh, had come to a dead standstill it was even and now the Mets are playing a doubleheader today. Their first game is in the books. They win 5-1 to one against the Pirates. So the Mets, as of right now, have a half-game lead in the division. And the Braves are doing everything they can to let them extend it even more. It's 2 nothing A's in the bottom of the first inning. If we're doing the, like, uh, you know, when they have multiple soccer games going on at once and they mm-hmm. go, like, the live standings, they are a game back in the live standings right now. Yes, they are a game back. And <laughs> with today, the Mets still have to play their second game tonight against the Pirates. Of course, the Braves are playing right now. We'll see how this goes. After this series, the Braves have to go to Seattle. They play a three-game series there. And then they go and play a series against the San Francisco Giants before uh, they hit a five-series stretch against all divisional opponents. We were talking about it during the break. They play the Phillies, the Nats, the Phillies, the Nats, and then they play the Mets. So there's uh, there's just crazy baseball to be played. Big, big opportunities for the Braves to, to try to take this lead that they haven't seen in over two months in Mm -hmm. in the beginning of July the Mets were up 10 and a half games on the Braves and yet here we are Uh, today's been a little fluctuating but 
It's a half game lead. The Braves were tied last night as Strider gets out of the inning. We're heading to the second. It's a 2-0 A's lead, but not a good showing 30, so far for Strider. 36 pitches in the first inning. Yeah, That's I'm not, not sure how long he's going to go. But as we continue on in making headlines here on Wednesday, September 7th, 2022, Auburn basketball's SEC schedule has been released, and there's some big games on there, home and away. Uh, we talked about it a little bit in hour number one, but going to run through some more here in this second hour. Auburn opens the season in conference play with Florida at home. Then a couple of games later, they get Arkansas at home. But the stretch on the schedule to end the regular season at Kentucky, at Alabama, and then home for Tennessee, uh, I just don't know how, how you get it much tougher than that. Yeah, the the stretch to in in the regular season is absolutely the toughest stretch on the on the schedule right now. But you know, when I look at the schedule as a whole, it it excites me. There's so many games that I I'm like, this could be a good game. I mean, even St. Louis and Colgate, I think those are gonna be solid G fives to bring to Auburn and play. And then you have Memphis on there at USC at Washington and then the SEC schedule the way it is at West Virginia it's almost like to me it's almost like Bruce went out there and when they when they announced the the Cancun challenge field he was like ooh this is this is a pretty sleepy group right here let's go out and make this thing more difficult to help our our room for error getting into the postseason getting into March Madness and he went out and did that, and 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 I this this schedule excites me. It really does. I think it's you have, you have a lot of good tests, especially before you get into conference play. That road trip uh, to the West Coast is going to be fun to watch, uh, just to go experience a different part of the country, kind of like they just did different part of the world going to Israel. I really don't know what to expect from Auburn basketball when they go to USC and then three days later they play at Washington. Not that USC and Washington are just top-level basketball programs right now or top-level basketball teams, but you're going across the country literally and playing two Pac-12 teams where you just don't know what you're going to get. Auburn will have the better players, the better talent, the better coach. But you are traveling across the entire country to play USC and then Washington. And then a week later, you open up SEC play with Florida. So you just don't know what you're going to get or how, you know, how much physically this is going to take out of you when you have to go out west. Well, USC has been, been a tournament team here recently. Washington has not. Washington has been that program that produces a weird amount of first-round like lottery pick caliber guys but for some reason never makes the, the the tournament. I mean, so you should be you should be the better team in that matchup. USC will will be an absolutely it'll be a great challenge. Granted the uh the the Mobleys will both be officially gone by the time Auburn gets out there, so maybe that US USC team takes a step back and maybe I would say Auburn's probably the more talented of the two. I just can't wait to watch this team play. I have such uh, high expectations for them and what they can be. Uh, And I just think that people are going to sleep on this Auburn team, especially early in the year. Well, I think we both can agree that Auburn will be slept on this year. They already are because of losing Jabari Smith, because of losing Walker Kessler. But I've said it before. Be better. I, I've said it before, and I will say it again. This year's Auburn basketball team in the year 2022 and 2023 will be a better team 
than last year's team. They're going to have more Agreed. talent, better players, a better team from start to finish, 1-12, to 12, than what we saw last year. Because I think they're going to play as a team this year a lot better than they did last year. And I think you're just going to... The problems you saw on Auburn's team last year, I don't think are going to show up this year. And there's more guys to go to. And I think the guys that are coming back are going to be better. And I think the younger guys are going to be better than what we saw last year. I just think the team as a whole for Auburn basketball this year is just going to be a lot, lot better than what we saw last year. Agreed. I I think the depth is huge. I think last year you had two guys, maybe a third, that could really handle the basketball. This year you're going to have five. And it's going to be, and I think that that changes everything. Having, Having depth that can handle the basketball. That way, if you have a scenario like, when when Zepp got strep throat and missed the Georgia and Arkansas games, you have people who can handle the ball. You don't have to because, boy, it felt like that Georgia game on the road. Wendell and KD were awesome in the first half, but it felt like they ran out of gas in the second half. And just having that depth, I think, is key and will be huge over the course of what's going to be a grind of a season Once because basically once they play Memphis – it's on the rest of the year. You mean you get Georgia State at home, but after Memphis, the schedule kicks up a notch, and it's going to be that way the whole year. And so I want to see how this team handles that, how that depth helps them get through what is going to be a long and challenging season. Well, as you mentioned, in December, on December 10th in Atlanta, Auburn will play Memphis. They come home for Georgia State. Then they travel out west to USC and Washington, like we talked about. Then in late December, Auburn basketball gets into SEC play as we take a look at the conference schedule for this upcoming basketball season for Auburn. You have Florida at home to open up SEC play Wednesday night on December 28th. Then to start the new year, Georgia on the road January 4th on a Wednesday night. You come home for Arkansas on Saturday, January 7th. Then you go midweek game at Ole Miss, back home on Saturday for Mississippi State. Then you hit the road for a couple of games at LSU, at South Carolina on a Saturday in late January. You come home for Texas A&M on January 25th. Then to wrap out the month, you go to West Virginia for the Big 12 SEC Challenge, a game we've known has existed for a while. It's a game that uh, it a toss-up maybe at the time because you just don't know what West Virginia is going to be like. They're going to play you different than any other SEC team you're going to see. West Virginia on the road will be a fantastic game. Then in February, Auburn has Georgia at home. Then they travel to Tennessee for a Saturday game. Uh, then they go to Texas A&M. So after leaving Knoxville, they're going to go and play at Texas A&M just a few nights later on Tuesday. They come home and play Alabama on Saturday night, February 11th. Home for Missouri at Vanderbilt built home for Ole Miss and then the tough three-game stretch to end the season at Alabama Wednesday night March 1st home or excuse me I missed one at Kentucky February 25th then at Alabama March 1st and then they end the season at home Saturday March 4th against Tennessee yeah and and as we learned in the first hour Auburn hasn't won at Rupp since 1988 so maybe this is the year I think I think at that point in the year this team will have identified what everybody's role is. The depth will be key at that point in the year. The, the experience will, be, will continue to be built up over the course of the season. And I, I, just, I doubt, I will continue to doubt every John Calipari season 
until I see him make a Final Four in recent history, and he just hasn't done it? Well, I think at this point in the season, at February 25th, when Auburn will have at Kentucky, at Alabama, home for Tennessee, at that point in the season, you are going to know exactly what Auburn basketball team you're getting and what Kentucky, Alabama, and Tennessee teams you're getting. It's like when, when Auburn went to Tennessee last year. I knew exactly what Auburn looked like before they took the court against Tennessee. I could tell you how they were going to play. I did tell you how they were going to play because the problems that Auburn basketball had in late January, they never, ever fixed them. They never did. And I talked about it and I complained about it here on the show and they never fixed them. And yet, what happens? Throughout the month of February, it's shaky. Throughout the month of March, it's shaky. You get into the tournament, you win one game against a bad team, everybody loses their minds, and then you play a halfway decent team. The same problems are there, and you get an early exit with a really, really good team. And so, at this point in the season, February 25th at Kentucky, you're going to know exactly where this Auburn team stands, and you hope that they've gotten better through conference play like you're supposed to do and that they can go on the road at Kentucky, on the road at Alabama, and wrap up at home against Tennessee and have a really, really good chance to win those games. Yeah, that round of 32 game, I'll tell you what, it felt like Auburn was playing in slow motion and Miami was playing in fast forward. They looked, from the opening tip, they looked so much faster than Auburn. And this year's team for Auburn, I think, is going to have a lot more speed. And I think part of that is, like I said in the first hour, you see guys getting in better physical shape like Wendell and KD. And, I mean, all of them are in better shape. They do a great job in the weight pro- in the strength and conditioning program over there at the, at the basketball building. And then you also bring in these other guards. You bring in these other guards with a lot more at- athleticism. I mean, honestly, I expect somebody like – like Janai Broom to probably run the floor a little bit better than Kessler, just because Kessler was so much bigger. Um, and I think I think this team is going to be more athletic. Alan Flanagan is going to be fully recovered, normal year, normal offseason, normal year coming in. I think I think he's going to, need to return to what we saw two years ago, and not last year's Allen. And I think all of these factors, you're going to have a more athletic, more explosive, deeper team. And I think that is going to show itself over the course of the season. I think the guard play is something that is super, super important for Auburn. We talked about it last year, and that is where Auburn saw their inconsistencies a lot. You saw teams attack Wendell Green. As soon as he crossed half court, they would double-team him, and there was nothing he could do about it, right? I mean, teams teams figured that out about him. They also figured out that KD Johnson comes in like the Tasmanian Devil, and he's just going to come in flying. Once he makes his decision to go to the basket, nothing is going to stop him. It doesn't matter if the entire defense collapses on him. He's not going to pass the basketball. So that is something that needs to change. I think it will. I will I, say the the effort that he had early in the year against UConn was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. I've ever seen. He willed that Auburn team to to stay in that game, keep pushing on into overtime and double overtime, and he made every big play, much like Jabari did later in the year in spots where Auburn had no business in the last – couple minutes being in a couple of those games and then Jabari would go nuts and cut it down to one possession or force overtime or do something like that but it shouldn't be that way Auburn should be good enough to where you don't have to rely on uh, a late game craziness from Jabari or KD but here's my take about Auburn and the guards this year I think I think KD should come off the bench I think Zepp and Wendell should start 
I think that's how this should go because issue with that. because you've seen when KD Johnson comes off the bench, you saw it when they played in Israel. When he comes off the bench, he brings a, that level energy. of energy that you don't get a whole lot with guys coming off the bench. And I think he could just play really, really well and have a specific, unique role off the bench. He could still be effective and play significant minutes, but not be in that starting role where you have a guy like Zeb Jasper who has shown he has more control of the game and the offense running the point than what KD Johnson does. And I think having somebody like Chance to come off the bench too is huge. Yeah, imagine KD Johnson and Chance Wester coming off the bench. You take KD... You take... Zeb Jasper and Wendell Green off and you go oh well we'll just throw out Chance Westry and KD Johnson I mean that's strong yeah no I I agree I think this team will be I'm excited to see what the guards look like we saw a little bit of it in Israel I think it's I think they already showed that they are I mean Wendell didn't shoot the way that you probably expected Wendell to shoot in Israel KD at least because he got hurt last year and the shot disappeared and you saw that in the in the SEC tournament when he was 0-14, famously. Uh, I think that I think that he'll be a better shooter this year. I, I it, Auburn's going to have to find guys to shoot the three, and that's you. You had the same question going into last year, and then Jabari turned out to be one of the best shooters in the country. But we will see how it plays out. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more when we come back. Off and running an hour number two on the Wednesday edition of On the Line, 334-321-1390. We'd love to hear from you. Anything on your mind, call in, be a part of the show, be on the line. More of the show when we come back. You are on the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. Back here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line, Jacob Goins and Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Carter, I want to bring this up real quick. I was scrolling Twitter during the break, and our good buddy Chris Gordy of Locked On SEC, he has a quote from Texas linebacker uh, DeMarvian Overshone, and here's the quote. You ready for this? Of course, Alabama plays Texas this weekend. Here's the quote. He said, we've been going against Alabama's offense since Sark got here, so watching our offense is like watching Alabama's offense. What are I, your, what's your take on that? I mean, schematically maybe, but like, it's Alabama. <laughs> this is the thing, like, never say anything that can be remotely construed as disrespectful about Alabama ever. When, you, when they ask you about it in the media, you say Alabama's the greatest team of all time. Bryce Young is the greatest quarterback of all time. Um, because it's never going to pay off well if you talk crap. Like, if you talk if you talk Alabama down, it's never going to pay off well, and it never does. That's why I cannot wait <laughs> for Alabama-Texas A&M. Because Alabama's going to turn Texas A&M into a grease spot in that game. It's going to be miserable. Yeah, well, this is the Texas linebacker saying this about this I, game yeah, this yeah, weekend. No, 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 I know. Oh, okay, I, I, so you're I, talking I, I A&M. It, you're but, talking A&M, but too. As, like, because of what happened this summer Yep. and because of what Jimbo oh, did. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 I got you, I got Alabama, you. Alabama, like, I know that Alabama doesn't circle games and get, it's processed and they go game by game. Yeah, they Will do. Will Anderson <laughs> said as much that that game is circled when he talked to the media, what, at SC Media Days? I yeah. Mean, he was uh-huh. like... Yeah, no, we, we we got something for him down the road. I mean, I that's you should never say anything that can be remotely construed as disrespectful or negative about Alabama or Georgia right now. 
just just don't touch it. They're, they're the two greatest teams of all time, two greatest college football teams ever. Best quarterbacks, best running backs, best defense, all of it. Well, we saw people trying to, to, to give Oregon more credit than obviously what was deserved because they were supposed to know how to defend and how to play Alabama because they obviously the connection. So we saw how that went down with Georgia, and that didn't work. Somebody needs to go ask Bo Nix if he thought practicing for for practicing against <laughs> against Oregon's defense because Dan Lanning was there. It it felt like they were they were practicing and playing against Georgia's defense. Yeah, did that help him when they played Georgia on Saturday? I don't think so. Somehow I doubt that. Somehow I don't think Bo Nix was having fun in that in that offense. Yeah, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say he's not a dark horse for the Heisman this year. It's just kind of what we're gonna go at. But I was scrolling on Twitter, and of course, like I said, it was Chris Gordy uh, in the Locked On SEC Twitter, and he tweeted that out. So I just thought that was interesting. Again, the Texas linebacker who said. We've been going against Alabama's offense since Sark got here. Watching our offense is like watching Alabama's offense. I just don't know how you can legitimately compare the Texas offense to the Alabama offense. How do you compare Quinn Ewers to Bryce Young? Look, Quinn Ewers is going to be good, I think. Uh, I mean, I believe that. Well, I think I, he's going to be good. I, but he's not but, Bryce Young. Yeah, no, he's not Bryce Young. And... and Honestly, it's it's probably closer to a wash at running back than people want to admit. Everybody talks about B. John Robinson, but Jameer Gibbs is a stud. And I, I'll take Alabama's depth, and I know that there were questions at receiver coming in, but, I mean, they're going to be awesome. They're going to be awesome. They're going to develop. I mean, Jermaine Burton's going to be great there. I mean, I just don't I just don't think you need to make – don't make direct, direct comments about Alabama. Have you seen the – the controversy, uh, it's, I don't even know if it's a controversy, but the, the uproar about Alabama's band not going and traveling for the Texas game. Have you seen this? Uh, apparently, the, the million-dollar band is not going to the Texas game because you've seen where Texas and other Big 12 schools put visiting bands, right? They put them way up top in the corner where they can't even be heard. So apparently, Alabama's band is not making well, the trip. Dumb. And people are, uh, Alabama fans, I guess it's Alabama fans, are just going crazy over I mean, it because the band's not making the trip i mean cool i mean that's what I i'm saying like but it's my my i always laugh when i hear the uh million dollar band because you know in today's today's world with inflation and everything that's gotta be pretty cheap for a band <laughs> right <laughs> well i was talking with i was talking with ben taylor who hosts auburn obelika this morning on news talk wa and i and i was talking to him and if this were if if, if it was auburn traveling to play texas on saturday and we found out that auburn's band wasn't making the trip to texas i would be like oh man i hate that and that would be it you know what i mean like it, it would you would hate to see it but I mean, i'm not I gonna would, i would i would hate it for the the people in the band for the not, band not themselves to go on the trip not getting to perform in a new stadium in front of a new crowd i think all that's great experience but like as a i don't look i i wouldn't care that much in terms of i don't think it has an impact on anything regarding the game right i just i, I mean, just thought like, it was like, like i'm more focused on the game i'm not worried right about well i just thought it was i that. thought it was interesting the just the uproar about it because it's well known what texas and big 12 schools do with opposing bands they put them in the tippy top of the stadium in the corner where they cannot be heard and so i don't blame alabama why would you uh, no offense to the band i know that's a, a tough situation for them not to be able to make the trip but why would you 
pay all that money for them to travel down there if they're going to be stuck in the top of the stadium where they can't actually play for their team and have an impact on their team. I, it just doesn't it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You take something like Jordan-Hare Stadium where the opposing band is right there. I mean, they're in the corner mm-hmm. of the end zone, and when they play, you can hear them. When they're Tennessee the came... The Auburn man, basically. When Tennessee came and they played Rocky Top about a million times a few years ago, I wanted to just die. When Tennessee beat Auburn, oh my gosh, it was horrible. 30 minutes left on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Some Auburn football talk when we come back. You are on the line with Jacob Goertz on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 more minutes here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. 334-321-1390 is the number to put you through to us. We'd love to hear from you. Anything on your mind in the sports world, call in, be a part of the show, and be on the line. Lots of Auburn basketball talk today. Uh, we talked a little college football, just some news going on in the last segment. But want to talk some Auburn football because... We are a few days away from game day as Auburn will take the field against San Jose State. And, of course, all of our eyes are going to be on the quarterbacks, right? How many snaps does TJ Finley get? How many snaps does Robbie Ashford get? All of that good stuff, right? That's what everybody's going to be watching for. But, Carter, the question that I have is not just on Saturday, but throughout this entire 2022 season – How can the running game take the pressure off of whoever the starting quarterback is going to be from here on out? Well, I think that any time you have a new quarterback, the the threat of the run can absolutely help take the pressure off. And when you have two great running backs, like Auburn does, with Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter, it should be that way. And the offensive line needs to be strong enough in the run game to, to allow those guys to do what they need to do. And I think it can help take the pressure, especially if you end up turning the the offense at some point over to a guy like Robbie Ashford, somebody who does not have a lot of college experience. Literally all his college experience was, what, the 26 snaps he took on Saturday at quarterback? I mean, that's the extent he's played in a live game. I would like to, if you're you're going to turn the ball or turn the brains of the offense over to him, you need to use his legs. And you need to use your running backs to make defenses have to commit extra men to stop the run, because then that helps them in the pass game. Then that, then they if they if they're stacking the box, then you can design some easy completions. And I still think I still think to an extent, and I think the 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 analytics will back this up when you talk about it. I think when you have a young quarterback, especially a young quarterback, you need to take advantage of of high percentage short throws on early downs and then you can run the ball off that but I think the worst thing you can do is run the ball get stuff for a one yard gain and then all of a sudden you're sitting at a second and nine or if you do that again then you're sitting at a third and eight or a third and seven and then the the defenses you're going against know it's going to be a pass I like that's as much as the run game can help set up your young quarterbacks your inexperienced quarterbacks You don't want to get in a position where you're putting them in obvious passing downs because then you're setting them up to fail. 
I was talking to my dad yesterday on the phone, and he brought up a good point about how over the last, uh, I don't even know, maybe over the last five years, it seems like the running back room and the running back groups that Auburn has had just haven't been what we were used to under the first few years of Gus, even in the Gene Chizik era. Like, you didn't have just that dude right that guy that just the ground and pound guy that you could just put lean on and like the the historical aspect of Auburn football having just the dynamite running backs it seems like over the last few years Auburn's had good running backs don't get me wrong but they haven't had those guys and I think now you've got two of them you have Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter Tank Bigsby who will be a top five running back in the entire nation in college football. He will be a top five running back. And then you have Jarquez Hunter, who could start anywhere in the SEC. I firmly believe that. He could be a starter anywhere in the SEC at running back. And so for Auburn football to be successful, I think you got to use these running backs. Use Tank Bigsby. Use Jarquez Hunter. And I'm glad you brought up Robbie Ashford in the run game because I do think he is an important aspect of the run game. Whether he's the starter or not, we have already seen in one week how he has packages and he has an impact when he uses his legs. Whether he's throwing the football, threatening to use his legs, or he just comes in and flat out runs the football. The run game for Auburn is going to take the pressure off of the quarterback, no matter who is QB1. But if you utilize Tank and Jarquez and Robbie Ashford, good things are going to happen on the offensive side of the football. I think Tank is one of those guys that that you're referencing from earlier. I think he's always been one of those guys at Auburn. It's just he hasn't had much to work with as far as a complete offense around him. The offensive line hasn't been up to standard. The passing game has especially... Uh, in 2020 was not up to standard. I mean, he and then he's gotten a little banged up. I mean, and I think having Jarquez being able to take some pressure off Tank is big. I think both those guys are exactly what you want as far as running backs go. And I do think that Auburn had that for a long time. Had that for a long time. And then the Booby Whitlow years was a significant drop-off. Which in is talent. what I'm referencing. Yes, it's a significant drop-off in talent. You... You, you didn't have a true SEC quarterback or a running back there, and you saw that when he tried to go somewhere else. 334-321-1390 is the number to put you through to us. Rain Man, you're on the line. Welcome in. Hey, fellas. Uh, I didn't get to watch very much of the game this past week. Almost got of it really about a quarter and a half uh, early part. Uh-huh. But uh, I went back and looked at some stat lines, and uh, I'm not watching the quarterbacks at all. We're in a position we've been in many times. We've got a handful of quarterbacks who got some of it, but not all of it, and they're missing some of it elsewhere. Uh, one of them gets pressured, gets a little overconfident, gets to make his reads. Has a little mental issue there with following, uh, you know, the read progression. That first pick forced to throw, stared down a receiver. We ran across on the uh, opposite side of the field that should have had a, a wide receiver coming underneath the safety for an 11 or 12-yard gain. Wide open, he just didn't go through his progression. We've got another one, I'm told, who's got a cannon for an arm, and the person who told me said, I don't mean that and that he can throw a 10-pound lead ball a half mile. I mean that in that not unlike throwing a 10-pound lead ball a half mile, you have no idea where it's going to land every time uh and those are things that coaches can fix if they know what they're doing on both of those quarterbacks the real numbers that should scare every auburn fan are these you ready Mm -hmm. one 
five thirty six seventy four and a half two seventy six. We went against an offensive line that averaged two hundred and seventy six pounds, six feet two and a half inches. Their quarterback dropped back thirty six times, five pressures, one sack. If we can't get more production out of our defensive line without having to scheme pressures and blitzes, we're going to be in trouble when we face some real SEC and even Penn State in two weeks offensive lines. Yeah, right, Ray, man, we appreciate the call. That's actually something, Carter, I'm going to let you talk about. That's something you brought up yesterday and on Monday was the defensive line, as good as we know they are and think they are and the depth that they have, that's something you brought up was the lack of pressure from the defensive line. I mean, I really thought the the guy who had the most, like, I, I liked the way his motor worked. I thought he was maybe not getting the most amount of pressures, but I thought he was getting the closest was Ekuliota. I was a little let down by Derek Hall. I know he got the sack, but it was on a play that like strung out to the sidelines and he ran it down and got the sack that way. There was not a ton of pressure, and I expected a little bit more out of the defensive ends. Granted, part of that is that credit where credit's due. That Mercer quarterback was probably a little more athletic than I thought he was going to be coming in, and he did a pretty good job getting the ball out of his hands. And so that's that's part of it. Um, but, I mean, we've we've seen Derek Hall, we've seen Ekuliota produce over the course of a season. We saw Derek Hall look awesome in the Iron Bowl last year. Granted, TD Moultrie was on the other side just wrecking dudes also in that game. And I, that's what I expect Ecu Leota to be as well. I expect them to be a great tandem of pass rushers, but you need production from the guys behind them. You need you also, I mean, since Derek Derek Brown left, you haven't had somebody somebody that can pressure the quarterback up the middle that can kind of collapse the pocket from right up the middle and put put somebody in a quarterback's lap. I'll be looking for that. I mean, you hear a lot about Jeffrey Emba. He got in a little bit on Saturday uh, and people talk about how much he looks like Derek Brown wearing number five out there physically they talk about his potential but was hampered in the spring with shoulder surgery I'm, I'm going to be looking for somebody up the middle but also Ekuliota and Derek Hall need to have the year that that is expected of them and then you don't you don't know what the production is going to be like behind them because there's not a lot of depth there Again, Rainman, we appreciate the call, and I'm glad somebody has brought up, and ourselves included, I'm glad it's, it's being brought up something other than the quarterbacks because that's where most of the eyes are, but as we just learned, not all the eyes are on the quarterback position. I think bringing up the defensive line is a very, very good point. I wouldn't be shocked if you have a similar performance from week one to week two because from all indications, listening to Harson's presser this week, San Jose State's got a very athletic quarterback, a transfer from Hawaii, a guy who could move back there. And if he handles himself the same way that that Mercer quarterback does, be, be using his athleticism to get the ball out of his hands, you may not get huge sack numbers in this week. So let me ask you this. If you are playing these athletic quarterbacks with these smaller schools, is there a, re- a reason and room for concern that Auburn didn't get back and get a lot of pressures and sacks? Or maybe was that possibly the game plan to not rush everybody and let the quarterback beat you with his legs? Well, I mean, it can be I mean, it can be a combination. There can be a little bit of a concern, and then it can be, you know, let's not let's not go all out off the edge because we know that if we get out of our rush lane, this guy can make you pay. This this guy can pick up yards with his legs. You you have to be wary of that. 
And I, th- and I mean, I think that this is this is different than when you play Mississippi State and the ball's out of Will Rogers' hand in a second. Like, that, in those games, those are the games you rush three and you're not going to get a lot of sacks because you need to drop eight. And, and that's how you play the... That's how you play an air raid team. Well, it's gonna it's just gonna be interesting. I, I wanna see what this D line does over the next few weeks. I think week one, a little bit of concern, but I'm not panicking. I'm not panicking at all. But I think most Auburn fans would would be in agreement on the fact of last week you played Mercer. This week you're playing San Jose State. Auburn's defensive line should bully both of those offensive lines. The Auburn's defense should get a lot of pressures, get sacks, make it uncomfortable for the quarterbacks and the running backs on the offensive side to do anything. That should be expected against Mercer and San Jose State. And the fact that it didn't happen against Mercer, if it doesn't happen this Saturday, then you can almost have the same conversation that we had with TJ Finley. Well, if you throw two picks against Mercer, how are you going to do against Alabama and Georgia? You can have the same conversation about the defensive line. If you can't get pressure in sacks against Mercer and San Jose State, how in the world are you going to get pressure on Stetson Bennett and Bryce Young? I'm not saying that's where we are because, again, it is just one week and it's easy to overreact on good and bad performances. But if you see it carry over into this week and then you start seeing it carry over into Penn State and Missouri – then I think there's time to worry and there's some room for concern on the defensive line. And maybe at that point, because there is so much depth on the defensive line, maybe that's where you start to see a little shake up in the rotation and see who's going to come out and actually make some plays on the defensive line. Yeah, I just I think that you you do also have a lot of a lot of new faces that that are that are on that group. You got you got Jason Jones, Jeffrey Emba. You got Morris Joseph, Marcus Bragg. There are guys who I think, kind of like we talked about the uh, secondary guys that need to, maybe there was a little bit of an, of an adjustment, a little bit of um, maybe nerves and that type of stuff that go into a game one like this. Maybe. But I, it's something I'm going to keep an eye on going forward is I want to see more, more out of that group because that is the group that everybody considers like this D line, especially the front end of uh, of the the D line, is the group that everybody expects a lot out of on this defense. That secondary is probably next in that group, and both of them at times on Saturday you could say it was a little underwhelming. Well, I think you know coming into the season and coming into the Mercer game, I, I talked a lot about it. The defense for Auburn was the side of the football that I didn't have any worries about. I wasn't concerned. I wasn't. I wasn't stressing about the defense. Uh, I said, if anything, it would be the secondary. But other, even then, I wasn't super, super worried about it. But after one game, we saw the secondary struggle a little bit. We talked about that yesterday. And now we have the defensive line conversation where you don't get as much pressure and as many sacks or, or pressures on the quarterback as you would like to see against Mercer. And so then brings up the concern is their concern for the defensive line. And so, yeah, it is something else to watch out for in the San Jose State game. Yeah, and and something to keep an eye on rather than sacks itself is that pressures number is is the true indicator of what the the D line is doing. If that number jumps up, then then you're fine. Sacks are not entirely dependent on, on the D line itself. There are 
there are as like if a quarterback's good at just getting the ball out of his hands, there are aspects of sacks that are that are out of the control of the DNs, out of the out of the the, the D linemen themselves. And but I just I wanna see I wanna see that secondary and I wanna see that D line look like the group that we think is gonna carry this defense. And and that's what we thought coming in at times didn't show it on Saturday, but we'll see going forward. Let's head to our final break here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. We'll head to the phone lines when we come back. Stay tuned right here on ESPN 106.7. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Wrapping up the Wednesday edition of On the Line, Jacob Goins and Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Head to the phone lines one more time, 334-321-1390. Dan, we appreciate you holding on through the break. We got just a minute or two. What you got? Yeah, I would just say um, I'm not that worried about the defensive line at all. I mean, we were getting pressure in the first half. We were shutting down the run, mm-hmm. and and the quarterback was really good, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, they had 17 starters back, so it was a veteran team. And, um, you know, I thought they handled our pressure well, but we didn't blitz at all. I think we had one blitz the whole game that I can remember. I mean, the quarterback can kind of know what you're doing, knowing that you're not going to send extra pressures, and so he just kind of worked his way around. And a lot of his passes were completed just by himself running around buying time. You know, so I, I don't think – I mean, it'll be a lot different in other games. Um, you know, just whether or not – you know, they got most of their yards in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. So – I mean, you give 100 yards in the first half, I don't really think you can complain too much about that. Right. No, I I agree with you, Dan. I think that, you know, it's something I asked Carter was, you know, could it be more of a scheme thing knowing how how good and athletic Mercer's quarterback was? And like you said, there weren't very many blitz plays. So I'm not saying that I'm fully concerned about the defensive line right now, but if you see this continue on where you don't get a ton and ton of pressure and you don't pick up sacks, then yeah, maybe there is some concern. Am I overly concerned about it? No, but I will have my eye on it on Saturday. Yeah. But now, the only thing I would say is about if, if our dip at the defensive end spot, that might be something to worry about. Yeah, oh, yeah. no, you're you're for for you sure know. right on that. Hey, Dan, we're up against it. We got Thanks. we got to let you go. We appreciate the call. That is Dan here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Carter, we've got a few more minutes left, and uh, before before we uh, continue on, if you missed any of today's show, be sure to go and find the podcast. Just search On the Line wherever you get your podcast. You can find it uh, again. Just search On the Line wherever you get your podcast. You can find it commercial free right after the show. So be sure to do that. We talked to. Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 back in hour number one. Uh, Great things from him talking about Georgia coming off their win against Oregon. What to expect this Saturday against Sanford. So if you missed that or any of our other conversations today, be sure to find the podcast. Just search on the line wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I think Dan brought up a good point with the fact that that quarterback was that athletic. They they brought back a lot of experience for, for Mercer, but when you have an athletic quarterback, you can't just pin your ears back and get after the quarterback the way that the way that every fan wants to. Everybody wants some just to come screaming off the edge and get a sack. You can't do that against a mobile quarterback because then you're putting your the rest of the defense at risk of of letting big plays happen. And I I think that's that's part of what went into it. I'm not again. I said like I'm not. There's a small, small, small amount of concern, but I'm not. I'm not worried. I'm not panicked. I think the D line is going to get their numbers, especially those first two on the edge. 
I believe in them wholeheartedly. I think I think they've got two of the best motors on this Auburn team, and they're going to get their numbers over the course of the year. Depth is is the one thing that I'm worried about. If you have one of those two guys go down, or or guys behind them, then I I have concerns. I mean, and I've even thought about it uh, with you off air. Like, if you start having injuries at edge, like. Does Cam Riley start playing edge? Like, how does that work? There's big what, question what marks. Next? Yeah, there's big question marks. My opinion on on the defensive line as we got about a minute before we wrap up is, I, I'm not super concerned. Again, I, I will have my eye on it over the next couple of games. But just because we're bringing it up doesn't mean the sky is falling and the defensive line is going to be terrible. Talking about the defense as a whole for Auburn, I would rather the overall stats of the opposing team's offense rushing, passing, I would rather those be lower and the defense as a whole just be solid, not give up yards, not give up big plays, not give up touchdowns, rather than having a hundred sacks right I just that's what I would prefer is the defense as a whole just just to be solid and to stop the run make good defensive plays make the right plays good open field tackles and stop people from getting into the end zone that means more to me than getting back there and sacking the quarterback five times in a game and so I think that's what we're going to see from this Auburn defense again god forbid injuries to anybody because outside of the defensive line This Auburn defense is thin, and if you lose these starters, you're going to have to do a lot of shifting around and a lot of new guys to take the field. And right now, and in this season, Auburn just can't afford to do that on the defensive side of the football. So we'll see how it goes. You've got San Jose State on Thursday, and then you get into some bigger games across Penn State and the SEC. That's it for the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Come back tomorrow. We're going to talk about some more football and preview of the weekend. Stay safe. I'll talk to you later.